0: Hello everybody and welcome back to Roaring 20's podcast. Today we have on with us Nat Kelly. She is the founder of Plenty and Well and she is a chronic illness mindset and lifestyle coach and the host of the Plenty and Well podcast. We are so excited to have you Nat. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on and chat with you guys today. It's going to be so much fun. Mm-hmm. This is definitely like a little bit of a different conversation for us. So I'm really, I'm really excited because I have a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> to to. So we're going to jump on into it. Nat, go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, where you're from, and how old you are. Awesome. So, like she said, my name's Natalie Kelly, but I go by Nat.
2: And I'm based near Seattle in a town called Kirkland. I'm 24. I'll be 25 in like a couple months. So we're getting up there, mid-20s. I don't know how I (laughs) feel about that. But um, like she said, I am the founder of Plenty and Well. So I do chronic illness, lifestyle, and mindset coaching. I do one-on-one coaching as well as my group program, Path to Empowered Acceptance. So I really aim to help women find confidence and acceptance and learn how to still find joy while feeling their emotions authentically with chronic illness. And I got into that because I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, ulcerative colitis, in 2017. I'd already had a blog for almost three years at that point and kind of saw it as this perfect opportunity to start talking about chronic illness instead and sharing my journey because I felt super alone at 21, like senior year of college, Mm -hmm. having my whole world flipped on its head. And it's kind of crazy that it's led me here now to my full-time job. And, you know, I wouldn't trade my diagnosis for the world because of who I've connected with, how I get to help people now. And it just, it truly led me to my life's purpose.
1: Wow, that's so beautiful. We always say um, turning our struggle into our strength It's like a topic we love to talk about so much, that that's so powerful. And it's crazy to think now that you mentioned you're 24, we're 24 and 25. And it's so interesting because we put so much pressure on ourselves to like be in a certain place or have our life look a certain way. And the more people that we interview of all different ages, it's fascinating to see where people thought they would be versus where they are. And especially to interview women in their 20s and to learn more about where they are right now and how maybe it's not where they expected to be, but how much fulfillment and joy you can find from those paths and often either what you went to school for or didn't go to school for doesn't end up being your your ultimate calling so there's just so many different (laughs) layers to that so you mentioned a little bit about your story and what led you to starting your blog and how that shifted and you also mentioned how that shifted your your blogs focus so how did the if you don't mind us asking how did like understanding that something was not feeling normal in your body how did that process kind of go yeah so I'd always been like that kid with you know sensitive stomach and my parents
2: like all growing up would be like, maybe she needs to not have dairy or gluten. And we'd always kind of like switch off things. And I was just never, you know, I wasn't super like sickly when I was younger. I just always had the sensitive stomach. Like that was like my personality trait growing up. <laughs> And I went to college and my freshman year, I kind of just like let everything fall to the wayside. I was just drinking a ton, having a lot of fun and just eating whatever for the first time in my life. I grew up eating pretty healthy and hadn't even drank till college. And I started noticing, I would call my mom, like I talked to my mom like every day. I would call her like every day and be like, mom, I think there's like mold in my dorms walls or something. And I always feel sick. I was like, thought, I was like, maybe drinking water is bad. Not thinking like, yo, you're eating like so much dairy for the first time in your life or like gluten. Or you're yeah. drinking, and maybe something's not right. And I then, by the end of freshman year, I, you know, went through a lot freshman year, and just realized, you know, okay, this lifestyle is actually not healthy for me. Let's get into nutrition. Let's get into running, which is what led me to my blog. And. I started getting really into health, but that then led me down to, you know, being a little too obsessive. And I developed an eating disorder, and that's when I really started getting really sick. And again, doctors just kept blaming it. They're like, well, you have an eating disorder. Like, you're doing this to yourself. It's because your digestion doesn't work now. And I was like, you're right. Like, that's probably it. Just kept blaming myself. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until... Like two full years later, after continually being told nothing was wrong with me or it was IBS, um, I was in Europe with my family and I was training for a marathon. And I just kept noticing, like, I would have to map out public restrooms in like a foreign country for my runs. And I was like, talking to a friend who ran and she was like, that's not normal. And I was like, no, I think it is. And she's like, I don't think so. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And I would just be in so much pain every day. But my mom has Crohn's. So I grew up thinking that was also normal. Like, daily stomach aches is normal. Having to take a nap because you're so fatigued. Mm. Is normal. Mm-hmm. And it was my mom who was kind of like, Ooh, this is not like, this is getting very kind of parallel to what I went through when I was younger. So mm-hmm. when we got back from Europe, I had a colonoscopy and then they were like, Hey, you have this. And just from there, I will, they actually told me I had Crohn's at first. And then like a month later, they mm-hmm. found my real diagnosis. So it was like a whole whirlwind of a few
1: years. <laughs> Yeah. yeah and we have a lot of friends that find a lot of frustration in like having a feeling like they have a sensitive stomach or feeling like there's something deeper to it and even after getting a colonoscopy endoscopy whatever it is and still feeling like they can't pinpoint what's going on so that can be really frustrating for sure but I'm glad that you were able to find your answer and hopefully be able to like manage the symptoms and all that as well yeah, yeah I feel definitely
0: like especially at that age like it's such a pivotal age anyway like being a college woman there's like so so much <laughs> that comes with that. Like, and like you said, like you're first starting to drink. A lot of people are first starting to like be sexually active. You're starting, like you're trying to figure out your identity, what you want to do with your life. Like there's just so much that's going on during that college age time. And then to have something like this on top of it, where you feel like your body is not working with you while well, the whole world is not working with you. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just not at that age. I can imagine was, you know, extra intense just because of like that point in your life definitely yeah it definitely was just like it's
2: such especially senior year right you're like you're like mm-hmm. it's my last year we're gonna like have so much fun it's the last year with my friends I also need to be like what the hell am I doing with my life am I moving home am I not and then it kind of just adds this whole thing on top of it I definitely feel like senior year was a bit of a denial year because I was yeah. like if I could just eat. I was like I can eat a strict diet easy perfect I can do that and like take my medication I'm perfectly fine, you know, and just didn't focus on stress, didn't focus on anything else or connection or, you know, whatever it was. And I mean, that definitely, I got so sick after graduation because of that. And that's what kind of woke me up of like, oh, it's not just like eating the right foods. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like, I do have to change a lot in my life, but it's so hard when you're in
0: college. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So like, speaking of how has, you know, coming to terms with your illness affected your day to day? Like what have, what have been the biggest things that have kind of been an adjustment? We have a couple of friends that also at the same age have discovered that they had, chronic illnesses as well. And I'm always really inspired by them to see how they're able to do what they need to do for their body and also like be resilient and like maintain a sense of normalcy. Um, So how has that been like day to day for you? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a couple things. I'd say the biggest thing with day to
2: day is like always having a sense of preparedness. Like I don't leave the house without, you know, certain medication or foods or whatever it may be. And just having to, I mean, it's become such second nature. I think that can be something that's really frustrating when you're first diagnosed because you're like, I can't just say yes to something or be spontaneous. I have to really plan. I think the other thing that's been the biggest positive is it's really chilled me out. Like I have always been super type A, go, go, go. Like all I care about hustling and working and chronic illness was like, Hey, we actually can't do that. And it's been such a great change because I have to focus first and foremost on stress relief and you know self-nurturance and slowing down. And so I think that is like the biggest thing is always, was having a sense of calm in my life, which mm-hmm. can be hard when you run your own business and yeah. again, you're in your 20s trying to date, whatever, but just always knowing my baseline is like calm. And I think that's the hugest shift since college especially and I didn't embrace that until probably a year into my diagnosis but it's it's definitely the biggest and I think best change that came with it for my day-to-day life
0: yeah I love that
1: um I have I keep getting like more questions coming into my head as you say (laughs) things um I definitely want to keep diving into the chronic illness pieces and that how that impacts your life all the advice you have but I'm also curious being that we are around the same age and this is a you know, online coaching and all this stuff is bigger now. How did you choose to make this, uh, you know, your, how did you get to the point where this could be your full-time job? Like, where did that, how how did that happen? Because I feel like (laughs) so many people are inspired to want to do those things, but don't know where to start or how to make it grow, all that stuff. Yeah, that's such a good question. So by the time I'd taken it full-time, so I took it
2: full-time, like January, 2019. So not quite two years. And so at that point I'd had it, for almost three and a half years, like a blog and a platform. So it was definitely helpful. I'd grown enough of an audience that it definitely helped that launch aspect of when I opened coaching. And so, it's kind of a, so I always knew I wanted to turn my blog into like a business or make money off of it somehow, but just like had no clue. And all I knew is I liked wellness and I liked blogging and I really hated the thought of having a boss. And so before I graduated, like probably only a month before and I was on the track to go into public relations or, and or journalism. And I called up my parents and I was like, you know, I actually am going to revoke every application. To every PR firm, and I'm just gonna be a personal trainer and figure out my life. And they were like, you know what, do it. You're like, you, you go. I don't even. My parents are the most supportive. I don't even know how at this point. I think they're just never for that. Yeah, yeah. So I studied to become a personal trainer, got that certificate, certification. Excuse me, and started doing that. And I did that for like two months full time. And then I was just like, no, I have to like not keep kind of holding on to something because I'm scared of not having enough money or whatever because Mm -hmm. I didn't just didn't have time to make my business a reality and thankfully I was living at home at the time which really helps because I was able to kind of take my time building it so I spent because I quit that job like October 2018 and spent the next couple months getting my I got my holistic health coaching certification and it's kind of like a life coaching health coaching certification Mm -hmm. and for most of 2019 I I was doing more general health coaching because I think I was afraid to niche down to chronic illness Mm -hmm. but I had a few clients that had Crohn's and I was like they were I mean I love all my clients of course but they were like I got so lit up when I got to talk to them and help them and it helped them with their mindset and I was like oh my gosh I think this is like the route I need to go so I made that change probably like halfway through last year of niching down to just doing chronic illness and then that led into the group program and I feel like it was just seeing questions come in of like well how did you you know move past being really sick or learn these things and I was like I think I you know have something here I can teach people and turn like you said, you know, turn struggles into the strength. So that was kind of a roundabout way of
1: saying it all. I hope that made sense. Right. no, it totally yeah. did. Definitely, I think it provides a lot of inspiration because even with us, with our plat, with our platform podcast, all that, you know, we want it to grow and we want to reach more people because we have such a genuine intention of wanting to make people feel less alone and sharing real and raw, using the word yeah. in the best way, <laughs> stories. Um, but you know, sometimes you, you come against that of like, when is it gonna grow even more than it is now? How fast, how can I get there faster? So I think that's really inspiring that you were able to do that. And I'm sure that your character and drive and all that stuff really plays a role. Go what ahead and you? ask the, your question that you wanted to ask. No. Okay, uh, you knew I'm like itching to it. <laughs> yeah, I um, see her face wanting to ask her next question. I okay, know <laughs> I know. So you mentioned something about dealing with an eating disorder and I'm just curious because I feel like I've tried to put these pieces together. That's something I've struggled with as well. and. And I definitely have some gut issues and all that stuff that I'll get into later. But do you believe that there's like a correlation between restricting foods for a while and then bringing them back in? Because when I really connect the dots backwards, I find that after periods of restriction and then overeating and all the back and forths of that, that my stomach is significantly more sensitive. Yeah, that's actually such a good question. I think there definitely is. Like,
2: I think partially, like, I would never say my eating disorder, like, Caused my ulcerative colitis but I do think that it kind of made it more apparent because yeah it was restricting so badly and eating so many of those you know like diet foods that have so many like fake sweeteners and just like they're so hard on your gut honestly and so I think it really exacerbated it so I think it definitely like showcased it more and then when I started recovering and introducing food again it just like kept making it worse because my body's like we have not had those in so long or even had that volume of food so I think it definitely can lead to you know, certain gut health issues, or if you already have gut health issues, like just really highlighting them and making them appear worse or feel way worse. And it's really interesting though, to see that connection. I have a lot of friends, I think, because like I was saying before this, most of my friends I've met through Instagram. And so- A lot of them have also had eating disorders and now also like have heightened gut health issues. So it's interesting to see that there seems to be some sort of connection there.
1: Right. Absolutely. And we've had so many women on this podcast that have struggled with an eating disorder, have just dealt with all of these things. And people, myself included, go to weight loss as a fix for many things. But we have this mindset that it's going to make us healthy, which maybe in some ways it, it can. That's a whole other conversation. But depending on your habits, but it's just so interesting that like what you really put into your body with the intention of weight loss can actually not be, can be harmful ultimately at times. So it's definitely interesting. I appreciate that response. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Speaking of food and like what you're putting into your body, have you ever dealt with like judgment of like judging yourself for not doing the right thing for your body? You know, like there's things that you're supposed to do that are going to help you be better within your constraints like how how do you deal with like judgment of like if you're not doing the perfect thing for your body all of the time yeah I love that I think that's like one of
2: those things that so many people with chronic illness struggle with is there feels like especially if like I said I tend to be a perfectionist in type a so you know if a doctor's like eat this diet or eat this I'm like I will do it to the best degree I can Mm -hmm. and I definitely just as I feel like I've removed myself more and more from my years of restriction and eating disorder like I have found a joy more and a little more food freedom or like getting a drink with a friend. And there, I feel like for me, there are a lot of foods that I just know will like send me over the edge. So I just never like even want those. They don't sound good, but there are little things that I know, or like, for me, it's like too much coffee or, you know, like having a glass of wine or something that I know isn't maybe going to make me feel my best, but I just like really focus on, um, and it's something I talk in my group program too, is like, Noticing that that is a choice I can make, and there's not like there's what am I trying to say? It's like I know the repercussions that might come. Like, if I'm gonna have like some alcohol or a little more caffeine than normal, like I know damn well I'll probably have a stomach ache or whatever it may be. Maybe I'll be a little more fatigued. And so, I go into it like acknowledging that and just like releasing it and giving myself grace of like, I knew that was gonna happen, so I'm not gonna be mad at myself because maybe I had like really great memories because I said yes yeah. to that drink or coffee with a friend or whatever it may be. And so I think it's, if you go into decisions like that, like asking yourself, am I going to be able to tomorrow, like still be kind to myself or am I going to beat myself up? And if you know yourself when you can't be kind to yourself, I always say like, maybe it's just not the best choice then because, you know, mental health is more important than maybe having that extra coffee or the yeah. cheese yeah. or whatever it
0: is for someone else. So yeah. yeah. I feel like I, it must be a lot of like, I like what you said about like checking in with yourself and like balance because like on one hand, you know, you, and, and this can go for someone not with, with, that doesn't have a chronic illness. Like, you know, on one hand you want to have a drink, but on the other hand, you know, you're going to be freaking hung over the next day. And it's <laughs> like, weighing like how do we maintain you know a sense of like social normalcy but also really do what is the best thing for our bodies and you know how do we make those choices I think that that's something that of course affects you on a higher level and people who do struggle with either illness or mental illness or disordered eating but for for anyone on a baseline level I feel like that also is can be really apparent yeah and I think it's so big too to like ask yourself what the root
2: is of wanting to let's say eat that or drink that and if it really is like Mm -hmm. I have not had a sip of wine in six months I just really want it like my soul needs that tonight you know then go for it but if it's like oh I just feel like I should because I want to be social and whatever then I say if there's ever shoulds in the thought process it's like don't do it like you can mm-hmm. still be social without eating the food or drinking a drink, or like I am like the queen of eating before going to a restaurant, you know, like and still going for my friend's birthday, and then I just like sit there and you know sometimes other people get awkward, but I'm like I don't care, you know, or like always have my like own lunch or Tupperware. I'm like the Tupperware mm-hmm. queen, oh. and like being able to just I think find a level of confidence in that, so there those shoulds are a little quieter.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And I I think it's also, that's a really powerful thing for you to say because I could see and and hear by your face and your voice that like those things that you do are genuinely out of self-compassion and out of taking care of yourself. And it's not, there's so much about perspective because like you are making these choices out of self-compassion. Whereas I know in terms of just that made me remember, like I used to eat dinner before going out with friends because I was afraid of what the food would do to me um, in terms of how I looked or how my body size would change. And that wasn't healthy for me overall. Right. But like something like what you're saying, there are times where it really does benefit you to do that. If it's out of self-compassion and where you'll be able to be more present in the moment with your friends, cause you're not dealing with physical pain. So um, it's so interesting how so much of it is really deeply about intention and having that high level of self-awareness makes all the difference. That's so
2: huge. I feel like that was such a big thing for me that I think was almost harder for the people in my life, like parents and things like that to come to terms with of realizing like some of my actions were almost very similar. And like, I think for them a little scarily parallel from when I had an eating disorder, but I would talk to them so much of like, yeah, intentions are so different. I no Mm -hmm. longer eat before going out, because I'm afraid of that food, it's like, I'm afraid of getting violently sick at dinner when I'm just trying to like celebrate my friend or yeah. celebrate myself or whatever for my own birthday. And so it it all comes back to that, like what is the thought process behind yes. what you're doing and can there be some flexibility?
1: Absolutely, and knowing that you have a choice. And I think that that's powerful, that even with living with a chronic illness, which there might still very well be, you know, a choice that might be better for you and make you feel better physically, but still knowing that that choice is there and that it's up to you. Because like you said, the should is so powerful. And I think a lot of us tend to be extremists and have that like all or nothing mentality, especially like those of us that fall into that type A category. So I really like allowing ourselves to exist in the gray area and not just being so black and white is a challenge but important. So, what would you say your tips are for discussing chronic illness with a new partner or people while dating and even with your friends? Is it could be a challenging topic.
2: That's one of my favorite topics. Um, I feel like that's uh, something I've been coming up in a lot of conversations lately, um, which has been interesting. And I think I always preface it by saying, sometimes I feel like I'm not the best example, simply because of the nature of my job. I can't really not tell people right, right away. Right. I'd have to be like, I do work online. Like, yeah. you know. What, <laughs> I do? Because what do you do? What do you <laughs> do? <laughs> like, tell me
0: more about banking. <laughs> um, I saw, and, wait, I have to just say this. I saw a hilarious <laughs> TikTok the other day. And it was like, I just tell people I'm an accountant because no one asks you questions when you say you're an accountant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really resonated with it okay (laughs) (laughs) literally
2: I'm like so whenever someone asks about my job I'm like they think they're asking such a straightforward question and they're about to just get like blindsided like and so it definitely for me like I tell potential partners like probably when we're still in the like weird texting phase haven't in quarantine times FaceTime dated yet Mm -hmm. you know no first FaceTime date but I always just suggest like telling I always say like tell someone before you have to tell them in the sense that don't wait until you're in a situation with a new partner or a new friend where you're like I am like so unwell I now have to like spill my guts while I also feel so physically ill that just makes it so much harder where if you kind of preface it and you tell them when you're in a space that, that you feel a little better or mentally in a good space it kind of like just paves the way moving forward and I always say too chronic illness has been the best like filter while dating because I can tell right off the bat how a man like responds when I say oh yeah like because they'll always inevitably ask like why did you get into chronic illness coaching that's specific Mm, and then you know I tell them and dependent on how they react I can kind of gauge from there are they worth my energy and my time and I think it's just a really big reminder that how someone reacts to the news that you have chronic illness Mm. that reflects on them and not you. Like that is such a reflection on their character and not a reflection on if you're a burden or you're worthy or anything like that. So I would say just telling people sooner rather than later because I think also the longer you wait, you almost start to create this like new persona around that person that you like maybe act a little more energetic than you really are with chronic illness or you act way more go with the flow for the first few dates, even though inside you're like, I'm dying a little, Mm -hmm. and it just makes it more awkward, and then one day you're like, oh, actually, I was kind of like just going along with things, but that's not really who I am. It just makes it harder, so Mm -hmm. I would suggest sooner rather than later, which I know can be really hard, but going in confidently, knowing their reaction says nothing about you, I think really helps.
0: I I, I love that advice, and I know it's something – we had my friend Amanda on an episode, Um, a while ago and she uh, is a cancer survivor and she also has Crohn's and it was one of the topics that we talked about with her and it's something that that I find so amazing about her because she said the same thing about like I kind of it's, it's kind of like a secret weapon because you can kind of gauge people, like how people are going to be in life based on their response to when you tell them something like that. And she's like, so I, it's kind of lucky because I kind of know like early on whether this person is someone that's like, you know, someone that I'm going to respect and like get along with down the line. Or if this is a person where I'm like, okay, you can't handle that, which probably means you probably can't handle other things. And like she views yeah. it really as like this kind of like secret weapon and I think that it can be if you look at it that way even though it might be difficult yeah I totally agree with that I think because I
2: think if someone you know reacts poorly you're like well maybe you lack empathy or you're just kind of emotionally immature maybe you're selfish you know and I think too it um it just forces you to get I think deeper with someone quicker and I'm like I hate small talk. so I think that's why
0: I hate dating. <laughs> I hate small talk. I'm like, I don't care your favorite color. Let's talk about your childhood trauma. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> my first question. So, um, what did your parents do wrong? How'd they fuck you up? <laughs> how do you feel about therapy? Do you go? I go. I love yeah. therapy. Like, that's <laughs> like my new thing.
2: I've gotten so comfortable talking about chronic illness on the first date. I'm like, how do I like, how do I get therapy into this conversation? And it's great. I, you know, probably scares some men
1: off, but
0: hey, then I don't want them.
1: <laughs> right? Then no, I don't
0: want them. That's yeah, why I feel no. like, like podcasting. I'm like, I just ask people like their deepest, darkest secrets <laughs> as soon as I meet them over Zoom. So I'm going to do the same to you. And if you <laughs> don't, <like> it, that's <laughs> fine. Then that's okay. (laughs) You're not for me. (laughs) That's okay. Exactly. Um, but bringing it back to food and stuff, do you have any favorite foods for gut health? I feel like gut health is like the hot topic. Do you have any faves?
2: Oh my gosh, I I will say like I feel like gut health is so not one size fits all, and definitely I think. Oh my gosh, I'm trying to think. Like I just I do love food. I would say like specifically for gut health, like things that are really easy on my gut are you know things like bone broth. I. I really love that and like you saying I cook with a lot of like turmeric and that kind of stuff. A fermented foods are really good for gut health. I like love like any kind of fermented veggie, kimchi, sauerkraut, all of that. No. Um kombucha, which I know is kind of hard on some people's gut, but in theory it helps gut health. I think those are some of my favorites for like specifically for gut health. I think that'd be my,
1: yeah, my little list. Definitely. And what are some foods that you think uh, most people would be surprised to cause inflammation. Now that I think about that question based on your previous answer, it probably is pretty individual. Um, but if there's anything that that's generalized at all, yes I think yeah I mean there definitely are I think with inflammation there's definitely
2: some foods that are like this can you know cause inflammation I mean there is so much like I think it's so crazy to use there's so much differing science when it comes to diets and Crohn's and colitis because like there's just as much science out there saying plant-based diets were as much as paleo you know so it's kind of like finding your particular but I think the biggest thing that I try not to you know give people too much like you shouldn't eat this or you should eat that but the one thing that I think is important to really look at is like I mean sugar is just super inflammatory like Cane sugar, not like honey or natural sugars, but normal sugar, like table sugar, sort of thing. Is it's you know it's also in everything. It's in dressings and sauces and ketchup and coffees right. and you know all the things. And so people always think it's so crazy when they say I don't eat sugar, and it's so not a like diet culturey thing. It's just I notice how much it triggers me and causes inflammation. And they're like, how do you like avoid that? And like, it's actually not that hard if you really just you know like put your mind to it or read labels and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think that's kind of the main thing I would
1: say. Yeah.
0: I actually have a question off of that um, that just sparked my interest. Like when, I know we were talking about like with partners before, but like with friends or just like, or family, even like anyone that you would be out with eating or like whatever, do you, is there any like, do you ever experience any stress of like, oh, people are going to ask me questions about like what I'm eating. I know it's a little different for you probably because you do do this as like (laughs) your job. So you're probably very used to talking about it, but was there ever a time where that felt like really stressful? And like, how, how did you feel like you were advocating for yourself without having to, like, convince other people that you were doing the right thing for your body?
2: That's such a good question. Yeah, like, definitely at the beginning, it was really like stressful for me especially before I had ever really talked about on my blog like I went to a really small college so most people and my friends knew but it was still like I acted very awkward about it so I think that in turn made them feel very uncomfortable about it so when we would like go out maybe before a sorority event or whatever and I remember like I would definitely like ask for you know no gluten no dairy like my things that I would like I would feel like my heart was about to like be out of my chest. Like when it was my time at the table to order and I would be like so nervous. And I remember one time they accidentally brought my salad out and there was cheese on it. And I got like, I was like, oh my God, I have to. Send this back, and someone at the table was like, It's like not that much, just eat it. And I was like, Oh my god, I feel so invalidated, but like, you don't understand. And it kind of was that situation of I felt like in my head, Oh, I have to give them this whole spiel about why I'll be so sick. And I was just like, Nope, my decision. I'm gonna send it back. I also paid for it, you know. And I think it's even if you feel so awkward inside, it's kind of like fake it till you make it, and you'll start just getting used to it and feeling more and more comfortable.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. like I I feel like it's kind of with anything of like owning it, just oh yeah, you know like you own it instead of letting it own you. Mm Yeah. Yeah. That's
2: huge. And I think too, I always say like, especially if it's very new, maybe it's like your first time going out to eat, you know, since being diagnosed and it's not like your closest friends. I always say like, have almost like a little elevator pitch in your head. So if someone asks like, oh, why do you eat that way? You're not like, oh, dear the headlights. I have never answered this question. You kind of are like, I know the synopsis of what to say about my diagnosis because we think it'll come natural. But when you're put on the spotlight, it's like yeah. holy shit, I don't know what to say. Yeah. So I would say, like,
1: have like a fake little note card in your head ready. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really good tip, um, and that really goes along with. I know we mentioned this before, but like you said, you you don't you you avoid sugar, or that's not part of your diet at this at this point, and your intention is so different behind that. So this is just so relevant to me right now. It's kind of crazy, but. Um, Like Julia said, convincing other people. And I know you said for you, your habits when you were struggling with disordered eating versus after you had your diagnosis were very similar. And that whole thing of like convincing people, no, this is for the right reasons. So with the sugar situation, it kind of translates for myself. Now I'm like, okay, it seems like dairy-free, gluten-free is a route I'm trying to take. But for some reason, I feel this like internal resistance of like, oh, is I don't actually believe that it's me giving into diet culture. I don't actually believe I'm trying to lose weight or or any of those things, but I have this weird thing, like making it a publicly known thing. So what's your best advice for that? Like for that little resistance when I'm really doing this in such a well-intended way. And I need your specific carbohydrate ebook. I like need to purchase that as soon as we're done. (laughs) because. Oh my God. That was like, oh, I need to go back and make, remake some of those. It's so funny.
2: My mom and I were like, just talking about that earlier today. She's like, you need to bake some stuff out of that for me again. <laughs> uh, don't worry. But I, that's such a good question. And I think too, like, like you were saying, it can start to feel like this pressure of like, I know I want to do this and it's well intended, but like, why is it that I'm so nervous of like how others are going to proceed mm-hmm. it? And I know for me too, like at coffee shops, I'll ask like, is the coconut milk sweetened? And they always get very confused. And I'm like, can I just like read the label? And I used to feel so embarrassed that people could hear me because I'm like, well, they probably think I have an eating disorder, which like, I'm sure no one does, but it's just like that little voice in me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being like, Hey, that kind of feels the same, even though we know the intention. And I think the biggest thing I would say is like, at the end of the day, when you're going to bed, would you rather... realize that you were super well perceived and in line of people's expectations of you or go to bed feeling like fulfilled emotionally, physically, spiritually, whatever it is. And kind of like, I always bring myself back to that of like, at the end of the day, which decision right now is going to make me go to bed, like happy or just like content. So I think that's a big thing of just realizing like in the big scheme of life, how others perceive what you're doing doesn't matter as long as you know why you're doing what you're doing, which sounds like, you know, you were saying you do of like having that self-reflection of like, what is the root of this action is it a place of self compassion and as long as it's aligned with that just being like okay then who cares what other people think
1: yeah that makes so much sense and i think a piece of me and probably with others is like this is something i've never tried before and for my whole life and especially since things have gotten significantly more like uncomfortable I'm like, okay, maybe this is normal. And then like over time, I'm like, this isn't normal. Like it's just not. And I'm doing all the testing and like all that stuff now too. But you're right. I love the way that you, that you phrase that. And I think a piece of me too, is just the idea of restriction quote unquote to any point is like, oh, well, is that not self-compassion? But I guess when I put it into context of other things, like there's a level of The word restriction feels like there's such a negative connotation to it. But when I think about something like a limit, like I have to set a limit when it comes to how much I could spend on like a credit card or else I'm going to be in debt forever. Like there are limits we have to place in other areas of our lives for our well-being to some capacity. But because it's such like a... I guess a wound of sorts, there's so much more emotion attached to the specific piece. And yeah, there, there is a lot of like, what do, what would people think or what if they misinterpret it? But love the way you worded that. Do you have any, oh, and the one other thing I was going to say because this reminded me of your ebook was that this idea of like, oh, there's, you know, I'm not going to be able to have anything that tastes good, but I, I scanned your, your, your ebook. And like, there are so many options that I'm like, this is, this is okay. Like this would be okay. Yes. (laughs) Um, Thank <laughs> you. Seriously, and I think that that's a big thing that people take into account is they think they're going to absolutely never have anything that tastes good again, and that's yeah. also yeah. not true. Not true. Um, not true. Yeah. So what would you say are your top tips for someone that struggles with bloating and maybe even to get low graphic irregularity <laughs> with like bowel movements and stuff like that? I think a big
2: thing, especially if you're like kind of new to that and you're realizing like this doesn't feel normal like I was for a few years, is kind of noting down and like symptom tracking and starting to kind of notice your triggers because I think everyone assumes right away, oh, it's food triggered. But I also really recognize like it's every time I'm really, really stressed, I start feeling that way. I'm really bloated, irregular, my stomach hurts. So kind of noting down, um, sometimes they're called like mood and food journals. So you note down not just your food, but also like how you're feeling, where you really stressed, anxious, and then also your symptoms. So I think that's a big tip to be able to kind of find maybe a root cause. Um, another one, honestly, is like, this seems so basic, but hydration, like if I even just drink a little too little, little too little of water, yeah. I get so bloated. I, I just know I get this like specific kind of stomach ache when I know it's dehydration. So like, that's something too. And no iced coffee doesn't count as water. <laughs> I like love coffee. And sometimes I'm like, I feel like I drank a lot. To- oh, it was all coffee. <laughs> oh, <my God>. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, literally. I think another tip is, I don't know, like specifically, I mean, this is kind of like an abstract tip, but I think especially with bloat, especially if you struggle with body image or, you know, whatever, it can feel like such a, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like, it just can feel like the worst thing in the world when you have a day that you're just like, so bloated and mm-hmm. i used to always feel that way and like i would just get so sad i would have a horrible body image day just think i was yeah. like not you know attractive anymore and i think the biggest thing with that is just like showing yourself compassion like it doesn't mean you ate something wrong it doesn't like literally your body didn't actually change it's just you know bloat and i mean hence why i literally always wear like clothes that are just like really baggy and i feel like i have such a wardrobe that's very bloat friendly because i'm like honestly accepted it it's such a huge part of my life and you can still like be super confident and feel cute even when like your stomach is flat so i think that's a big thing is just trying to also recognize like it's okay and normal to be bloated and like you can still be beautiful
1: wow i love that you really just like spoke to exactly what I think probably a lot of people who struggled with this and myself included that like the whole body neutrality, body acceptance type of thing we've had a lot of women on here talking about those incredible topics and that's definitely something that I've shared even on our solo episodes and with Julia that like it's this weird thing of like I'm working on accepting and continuing self-compassion and appreciating my body for what it does for me but there's this weird like thing simultaneously where I'm like all right it really messes just like with with what I see, because I, like I know I'm treating my body well, I know I have great habits, and I'm all these things. But sometimes when my body looks so different at the end of the day, it's just like confusing more than anything.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's so true. It can kind of, especially when you know you are, it can be like so frustrating when you're taking such good care of your body because you're like I'm doing everything you know, quote unquote, right. But I think then that's something where you're like, cool. I'm doing everything quote unquote right. I'm nourishing my body. I have compassion for my body, and you know show that show that through what I'm eating or whatever. And I think what you said too, with neutrality, I think that's like the biggest thing. Like you don't have to reach this level of like, I love my body so much because then that gets into like well, what if it changes again? You know, right. then you have to learn to love that body. And it kind of is like this idea of impermanence too. Like our body's impermanent each day, right? We go to bed so much more bloated or from seasons of life. And I think I've learned that a lot from having you see is just my, I feel like I've lived in a million different bodies. I have so many different wardrobes, like just the <laughs> from flares and medication, whether I'm gaining or losing. And it kind of hit me after one of my flares where I was like so self-conscious because I'd lost so much weight. And I was like, this is gonna be my life, you know? And like why every time I have this big change? whether it's losing or gaining weight, I get so upset like maybe I just need to accept that that's gonna happen and the thing that doesn't change is like who I am and that's that's more important
0: oh I'm so glad that you said that and I think that that is so valuable and I think that so many people are gonna benefit from hearing that and you do talk a lot about like finding joy alongside your pain and how do you so how how are you intentional about that how do you be intentional about like finding the joy even if you're having a flare-up or or if your body feels like it's you know not working with you that day what are your tips for that yeah so I think the biggest thing for that for me is staying
2: present that's a really big thing I teach in my group program is like the idea of mindfulness and presence I think especially with chronic illness it's so easy to get so caught up and like live in the future either live in the past of what did I do to cause this flare what did I do to cause my illness Mm. or the future of will I flare will this medication keep working can I have kids like whatever it is and when that happens you're not noticing you know stuff around you so for me staying present and helps me even in the really hard moments. It helps me acknowledge those hard emotions and feel them so that I still can notice. I'm like, I was kind like the queen of little joys. And I think chronic illness taught me that because it's not always going to be big trips and big parties and the big things, you know, it's like a new mug or like my yeah. tea in the middle of the day. Like I think those little things, because even when I'm flaring or having just a really hard day with chronic illness, even mentally, I can always find something small to be like, wow, because I'm so present, I really savored how my tea tasted. And that brought me joy or like that na- that neighbor that smiled at me or whatever it is. So I think presence is like the biggest thing, and I do that with you know I meditate most mornings, and I'm such ai love journaling. Like I think journaling really helps me just like stay in the moment, and so I think both of those things just every day really help me just focus on the now and not get so caught up in the past and the future.
1: Yeah, I love those. I love that, and I think we we really are not taught as often, maybe more so now than in the past, but like to really like relish in the ver- in the little things or things that we might be used to, but are still like beautiful parts of life. I think we do kind of are conditioned to wait for these like huge extravagant moments and things we can post about and things we can share that like will, you know, be gra- earth shattering <laughs> and groundbreaking and all that stuff. So um, I love that you said that. And I think it's so important. For someone who wants to start living a more holistic lifestyle, but is really new to this topic, where would you tell them to start? What are some like simple changes that they can make into their life. Yeah. I think, I love that you said that of like, it really
2: can be simple changes and like little things. I think when people think of lifestyle changes, especially maybe wanting to be more healthy or like holistic and have this kind of mind, body, soul connection, they think, oh my gosh, I have to make every change and do everything. And I have to eat the right foods and have the crystals and do the medicine, you know, like all the things And I think like picking kind of one thing that excites you the most about like maybe a more holistic lifestyle. Maybe that is the mindset aspect. Then like read some books, get a journal, like start meditating. Honestly, I kind of suggest everyone start there. I think that's such a basis of any kind of life that's led through self-love and that's more holistic is like, Get your mind right, you know, get present with yourself. Um, but maybe the food part's what really excites you, then focus on that and like kind of find a cookbook, like trying to make it fun. And if it is stressing you out, like just take a step back and realize there's no timeline to have to make changes. But I think that's the biggest thing is kind of decide what part of it. I mean, holistic means all of it, right? Like mental health, physical health, spiritual health, career health, and kind of, I think, take stock of, how you feel in your lifestyle now and where's the part that you feel like you struggle with the most and then start there and the rest will honestly just kind of fall into place.
0: Yeah, that's such good advice. I love that. Obviously, that has a lot of amazing advice. So I want you to tell everybody about your coaching program. How does it work? What's it look like? Yeah. I love my, I love my program so much because I just love the girls face in it. literally lit up when I was like coaching.
2: <laughs> I, I love it so much. Amazing. It makes me so happy. That's <laughs> the type it, of coach you want. <laughs> yeah. I like, It's so funny because I feel like I get just as giddy over each new round of girls because I'm like, oh my God, there's new friends, new (laughs) girls. And they're like, obviously just excited too, to like meet people. And it's just such a like happy space, not only for them, but for me. And so yeah, it's called the Path to Empowered Acceptance. And it, it's kind of funny. I kind of almost like accidentally made it like, I was just like, (laughs) maybe I'll just kind of make something really small and it'll be like, a little free freebie thing. And then I started creating it and I was like, oh my God, I think I'm making a coaching program. I was like, <laughs> I think this is going to be like a course. And so, okay. how it works is groups kind of tend to be I mean, I've had groups of like eight women. Our group right now is 18 women. So, it's definitely on the bigger side. It's awesome. But there's like an online course aspect that has like audio recordings and then they have journal prompts and action items and guided meditations each week. I don't leave those. My friend Sam, who's a meditation teacher, created them for the program so they do that on like their own time and then we have our private facebook group where we just like connect and you know, create this community of women who have all different types of chronic illnesses. And then we come together on Zoom calls like this uh, a couple times a week. And we talk about the module. We talk about our journeys. We ask each other questions. And it's seven weeks long and it just goes through pretty much everything I know about finding confidence, finding acceptance, finding empowerment, and really learning how to love yourself through chronic illness. And it's just, I love
0: it so much. (laughs) I love (laughs) it too. (laughs) we love it I also love it I just think that that's so incredible I think you know it's so easy to let outside forces I mean we're going to talk about stoicism a lot but it's <laughs> so easy to let outside forces like kind of you know dictate and narrate our lives and being able to to have a program that people can go to to help you claim ownership over your circumstances I think is just super important and I'm I'm so grateful that you're doing it and I'm sure that the girls in your program are as well because it just sounds amazing and That's so, so amazing. freaking important <laughs> thank you so much
1: so- <laughs> <laughs> um and nat you also have a podcast so what can people expect to hear on your episodes yeah so yeah i have i just changed the name it used to be the thrive
2: with ibd podcast i started it august july or august of 2019 i don't quite remember mm-hmm. and it used to be dust i thought it was just going to be like just People's stories about their journey with Crohn's and Colitis, their tips, kind of like their best advice, and just kind of to learn and have a space where people could go and just hear other individuals talk about their journey with the same illness. But then I started expanding and wanting to include other illnesses and just other topics. And so I changed the name recently to just the Plenty and Well podcast. And so it's a mix of chronic illness warriors, stories, journeys, and talking about advice, whether that's with dating or career or college. And then also just bringing in people that talk about other topics of things that have helped me in my Journey. So I had a friend come on and talk about like spirituality, human design, manifestation, things like that to help also show like we're not just our chronic illness. Like I'm not just my chronic illness. I also love stuff like that, like manifestation yeah. and journaling. And so trying to bring in other people that still give advice that can be very pertinent to someone on the chronic illness journey that maybe they haven't like learned about before or taken interest in, but now maybe they will.
1: Yeah. Oh, so I cute. love it. <laughs> I just recently started learning more about like, I know the Enneagram things, but I just recently started learning about the human design. Actually, I think all that I know is what I am. I think it's yes. a generator, maybe generator yeah. I don't know what I am. I need to take my, I need to do. You
0: should. But
1: we definitely need to have someone on that like explains the whole rundown because I'm so interested in it. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what, what are you, Nat? I'm a manifesting generator. So I'm like a little hybrid in there. Ooh. Very
0: well,
1: I take it <laughs> online. Yeah. Okay. I think so. I Thank think you. so. I, I like told a friend of mine like my birthday and like all these different things and she did something. I have no idea. <laughs> <I'll let> oh <you laughs> me up, Brenda. Why are you holding that on me? Up? I'm so sorry. I, I'll let her know right after this call. Fine. <laughs> anyway, back
0: to Nat. Nat, obviously you share so much on your platforms. You're super personal. Is there something or anything about you that your audience doesn't know? Oh, I love that. Huh. I'm like At this point, hard I'm one. <laughs> one. I'm like, you know, I do
2: blast my life on social media. Uh, <laughs> what is something my audience doesn't know about me? I think something that, I mean, this is actually kind of just ironic and it's more of a past thing, but I used to be like, oh my God, so shy. Like, so shy really? and super integrated. Know. Like, yeah. And I think I tell people that they're like, no. And I'm like, you, if past me was like, you tell what to who on the internet, she would just swallow me up floor like take oh me. Like yeah, wow. I used to be the girl that like if I had to speak in front of the class, like bright red, shaky voice, like
1: going to cry. Wow. And, uh, I would like, never think that.
2: Yeah. I it's really, it's really crazy. I don't really know why I was so shy, but wow. I was very shy. Wow. Yeah. but that, i know that's a
1: past thing i feel like there's honestly no present piece of me the that's okay. no that's a good one last time we asked this question someone like told us about um that they never shaved their legs so it like no. really doesn't
0: have it's always a hilarious answer where like I love that. it's either like super
1: deep or it's like i haven't brushed my teeth in seven days like, yeah like so it's really one of one of two ways yeah. Yeah, um, just, yeah. there's no gray space there there's no, no. Gray space. <laughs> So, Nat, do you have any daily rituals, routines, or habits that you incorporate? Yeah, I would say, like, my morning routine. It's, like, my favorite. My morning routine. Let's hear Be specific.
2: It is, like, five hours long. (laughs) Actually, that's actually not that much of an exaggeration, I will be honest. So, I do. I love the mornings. Like, I willingly get up at 4.30 a.m. every day, and I love it. And I I know. I know. I'm so strange. (laughs) But I will meditate. I, like, guided meditations. And then I will do my gratitude journal. And then I also normal journal, whether that's like just brain dumping my emotions or I like to like write poetry in it. Um, and then I'll typically read for like at least an hour and a half. And it's normally some kind of personal development book or book about like spirituality stuff. And then I'll do like yoga or go on a walk or work out. And then I can get my day started and get ready and all of that. But that is kind of like the the main rituals I do every day. I mean, sometimes give or take some, obviously life happens. Sometimes I don't just pop out of bed at 430 30. Uh, But for the most part, I try to incorporate those things and it just really, it sets me up for a day and kind of like I said earlier, like I try to live a life based in like just slowing down. And I feel like by starting my day really, really slow and easing myself into it and focusing on my emotions, it helps me just kind of take that through my entire day.
0: Yeah. I love that. We love morning routines. We love. When we're always it's talking about morning routines. Nat, you've been so incredible and we can't thank you enough for sharing all your wisdom and your story and I think a lot of people are going to really benefit from hearing you speak. Before we let you go, we just have two little questions. Yeah. Has there been any resource in your life that has helped guide you through your 20s thus far? It could be a book, a podcast, a person, anything. Ooh. Okay. Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> I think definitely it comes back to
2: books for me. I'm a huge bookworm. And there have been, there's one book in particular that I think is, I need to reread it already. And it's called Light is the New Black by Rebecca Campbell. And it's a really cool personal development book where Each little section is just like a page or two pages, and I honestly only read it this last year, but it like, it changed my life. Like, it totally changed my life. I feel like it called me out on so much stuff, made me realize like toxic relationship I was in, made me realize what I needed to do in my career path. It it is just really beautifully written, and it also has like journal prompts and stuff. So I would say that book as well as someone that I feel like has just helped and kind of helping me just be confident in who I am and just kind of share my quirkiness with the world is the balanced blonde Jordan Younger I have followed her since I started she was the first person I ever followed on my blog and so I feel like she's really helped me through my 20s just like seeing her really like find her way and she has chronic Lyme and just seeing kind of her navigate her journey so authentically, I feel like has really guided me in doing the same. Oh, love
1: incredible. those. You're gonna have to get
0: that book. I know, so right?
1: Oh, <laughs> man, I've, I've honestly never heard of it before. So add to <laughs> cart, Julia, add to cart. <laughs> know, add to cart.
0: I love when people tell us new books. I'm like, put it on my list yes. of the <laughs> yep, books that I haven't read that I want Seriously. to read. Seriously. Yep.
1: The <laughs> list is ever... Ever-changing. Ever-changing. Um, and our last question for you, Nat, is where can people find you? So you can find me on Instagram. It's at plenty and Well
2: with Nat. And then my podcast, Plenty and Well Podcast. It's on like Spotify and iTunes and all of that. And then also my website, plentyandwell.com.
0: Amazing, Nat. Thank Very you
1: cool. so thank much. You are so awesome. Oh. <laughs> I want to hear you. I, hear you. <laughs> I know. It's going to be so great. Oh, thank Follow you guys that. so much. This was true. This was like so fun. I needed this. This was awesome. So. Oh, I'm so glad We had so much fun with you. <laughs> we
0: really did. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Roaring 20's podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring 20's podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With, with love, Brenda and Julia.